powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Game Over Ottawa. I'm your host, Maud, and unfortunately, it was uh, a night of suffering for the Senators and their fans tonight. Uh, joining me to break it down here is Brad Timmons. How are you doing tonight, Brad? I'm doing good. How about you? Um, I was doing pretty good until watching that game, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure sure a lot of people felt that way tonight. Uh, the Sens put on a absolute stinker on home ice against the Los Angeles Kings, and it was a game that just wasn't even close from the get-go. Uh, but before we really get into the analysis tonight, just going to thank our sponsor, Sports Interaction. Think you know what way it's going to go? Make your bet with Sports Interaction. Whether it's World Cup, hockey, football, or basketball, Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pre-game, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all that sports betting has to offer. Want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com sdpn. 19 plus, please play responsibly. And now, <laughs> I hope that not too many people bet on the sends tonight because, uh, it was not even not even close at any point, really. Uh, how are you feeling about their performance tonight? Like, what do you think went wrong? It feels kind of like everything went wrong from the get-go, but what stuck out to you? Yeah, I think it'd be easier to list the things that didn't go wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they got off to just a, a terrible start, right? Um, two nothing in just over two minutes of play. <laughs> that's that's pretty bad. Uh, Talbot, he's been great recently. Tonight definitely wasn't his night, though. I think uh, some of them there was nothing he could do on, but uh, he let in some soft ones for sure. Just every time the puck was in the Senators' end, I was back to, you know, feeling a little nervous. Mm -hmm. tonight, you know, that's been kind of going away a little bit in the last few games, but tonight it was it was right back to that where the puck was kind of bouncing everywhere and you were just waiting for the opposition to collect it and throw it at the net. Yeah, I have to say I was a little bit surprised that Cam Talbot got the start tonight and I don't necessarily have a problem with it um, because he has been good lately, but just just the fact that Forsberg was so great against San Jose, especially uh, in the third period when they had that crazy sequence on the penalty kill, I expected the coach to stick with Forsberg at least for the next game. Uh, yeah, I was expecting Talbot tonight, I think. I think they're trying to kind of stick with with one goalie as kind of the main starter rather than flop back and forth a bunch. And he played well through most of last week, right? Forsberg got the start on Saturday because of the back-to-back -back and played well as well. But I think, you know, Talbot has kind of earned, earned the starter's net in the past few weeks more than Forsberg has. So... I had no problem going with them, but I think they may be uh, they maybe kept them in a little bit too long tonight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that he has earned uh, trust from the coaches and and sort of a longer run of starts. Uh, but I do wonder if tonight maybe that will change things a little bit. I'm thinking that it might be. I mean, maybe maybe they want to show confidence in their guy and go back to Talbot next game. But uh, the way it went tonight, I, I think it might be Forsberg next game, like. You say uh, uh, that you think he was left in a little bit too late. At what point do you think you would have pulled him? I'm not sure if I would have pulled him. I, I might have pulled him as a mercy pull after the third goal. Mm -hmm. I don't. I wouldn't have pulled him for the third goal because 
that was that was the one where they threaded the pass right through Sanderson's legs, and there's nothing that the Talbot could do on that one. Mm-hmm. But uh, three quick goals like that maybe give him the mercy pull. Uh, the fourth goal was a weak one. I probably would have pulled him after that without the if I hadn't pulled him after the third one kind of thing. Yeah, I feel like. Oh god, it was so many goals in that first period that I'm kind of sh- struggling to remember how all of them even even happened. Uh the the one that really uh, stuck out in my mind was that that line change, that failed line change where the fourth line was coming onto the ice and we had numbers coming back. Like we had all five sense players were back and the Kings only had like three guys into the zone at that point and yet we still managed to leave one guy wide open. Like uh just that I don't know if it's laziness or like not enough of a commitment to defense, but just moments like that are so frustrating to see. And they kind of, they kind of make me like, uh, not, not put so much on the goalies here on this result. Like I, I definitely think it was more of a mercy pull when they did decide to pull Talbot after that fourth goal. Cause Oh boy, the, it was just, just soft in our own zone all day. Huh? All night. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, it's so so backbreaking too. After we do get that that power play goal from Batherson, pretty good timing, like early in the game, five minutes in, when you're down two nothing. You know, I really yeah. thought that it, that was going to give the sense some life, but just it, it didn't last very long. No, they look honestly, they look good. Um, you know, shout out to DJ Smith on that uh, the timeout. I think it was necessary. Mm-hmm. And you use a timeout two minutes and 15 seconds into the game, but you know, then they come back after that and they have some pretty good shifts, draw the penalty and get the power play goal. But uh, yeah, then, <laughs> then it just ends up in the back of the net at the other end a few minutes later and it's back to scrambling. Yeah. I I've said before, especially when the sends were on that really long losing streak, I've, said that they just seem to get like really discouraged very quickly when things don't go their way um so i think like you said the the use of the timeout by dj after those first two goals even though it seems like an absolute calamity to be needing to use a timeout two minutes into the game which which it was it did it did seem to help it kind of kind of sparked the team right after that but that little that that few minute sequence, like leading up to that power play goal by the Sens, that that seemed to be basically all it was. And then as soon as as soon as the third goal went in for the Kings, like the the Sens just kind of flatlined at that point. So to yeah. me, it, it kind of seems like bad habits creeping in once again. Yeah, that uh, yeah, that's one way to put it. I I find their their structure kind of collapses when bounces start going the other way mm-hmm. that was that was the big thing i found during their the earlier losing streak and in the past two weeks they've been a bit more composed when uh when things start to fall apart they're a bit calmer and able to collect the puck and kind of get things back on track and tonight that just wasn't happening yeah and even going into the uh the second period like down 4-1 obviously that's horrible but i wasn't totally tuned out of the game yet because you know, we, we've seen a lot of comebacks in the NHL this year, like especially I always a, any game that I'm watching when a team goes down, the uh, the local broadcasters will always say like, oh, there's been so many comebacks this year. So so don't tune away, you know, but 
Because, you know, if you get a how quick... Many, how many goals were the Kings down against Seattle? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> as soon as we went down 4-1, I tweeted, I was like, can we get another 9-8 game, please? Like, just, just for some yeah. entertainment value. But this game was the exact opposite of that in terms of any hope of a comeback. Like, you, you, I feel like when you're down early after the first period, you have to get go something going pretty quickly in the second period to, to swing mm -hmm. things back your way. And... The, that second period was just absolutely dead from Ottawa. Like, nothing. Yeah, I don't remember were... a single scoring chance in the second period. Ottawa, I found in the second period, Ottawa was doing a decent job of controlling the play, but they weren't really able to to generate anything off of it, right? They would they would get the puck into the, the Kings' end. They'd try to get something up. The Kings would break it up. The Kings wouldn't get anything going at all. But they kept it kind of quiet enough and they, you know, they kept the pace of the game down in the second period, which was, you know, the right way to play it for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they really did keep it quiet. They highlighted on the broadcast, even on replays. This is how uneventful that second period was, is that they spent time on replays showing how the Kings were playing the trap and analyzing the 1-3-1. One, one. So mm -hmm. that the fact that they actually had to focus on that on the broadcast because nothing else was happening and it was working really well, like credit to them for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I was kind of worried coming into this game, especially, I don't know if it's just my weird way of thinking but just because we played the kings like a, a, basically a week ago and and managed to beat them i feel i felt like coming into this game i was like oh they just played us it's fresh in their memory they know like what they did wrong basically and then they're gonna figure out how to beat us and it just seemed like they came in with a perfect game plan just executed it you know to perfection right from puck drop yeah the idea that you spend more time on tape after a loss than you do after a win mm-hmm yeah, like I'm sure that teams are always uh, bringing up the tape of their previous game versus an opponent, but I feel like just because it was so so recent that we played the Kings, like it's just I had I had a feeling that it wasn't going to go too well tonight. That they they were really going to step up their game. Um, yeah, what they what they had to do differently was more front of mind. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, now I want to point out a comment in the chat here, Marco. He's got a question. What is Pinto not doing that he was doing early in the season, I guess, that was leading to his success? That, that's another topic I want to bring up, uh, not just about Pinto, but about the second line in general, which has been a bit of a common talking point lately. But uh, what are your thoughts on Shane Pinto's play uh, lately? We'll start there. Um, I think he was probably actually the best out of the three on the second line tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, he made a couple plays. He wasn't I mean, the second line wasn't really able to get anything going at all. Um, Pinto was probably the one where I saw the most effort from and the most uh, the most able to get something to happen, even briefly. Um, in general, I think it's he's he's a little out of his depth right now. I think he's um, losing Norris so early in the season has uh has hurt Pinto a little bit in the in the long run. He's having to play up on the second line this entire time. Um I think I think he's capable of it. I think he's just lacking the experience to really bring it that high up the line up night in night out yet. Yeah. I I totally agree. I think it's just the tougher matchups 
that are that are really uh hurting Pinto right now. Not necessarily that he's doing like really bad with tough tougher matchups, but it definitely has an effect. Like I and I remember as well uh at the beginning of the season when we actually had that brief winning streak and it kind of coincided with Pinto's goal scoring streak. Like that is mostly when he was playing with uh Mott and Joseph. I guess uh because they had put Brassard into uh, Norris's spot at first when he got injured. So which to be yeah, fair, I'm I'm glad that they're not doing that anymore. But also, yeah. I just think that the way that line was playing with Mott, Pinto, and Joseph, like I think that just kind of suited Pinto's game better. They were really strong on the forecheck, causing a lot of turnovers, and I felt like that just helped out Pinto. It worked out really well for him. Whereas I don't think Debrinket and Batherson have really developed any chemistry with Pinto at all. Um, not consistent. I mean, they've got some games where they do really well but it's it's really hit and miss like there's no consistency like the top line they're bringing it game in game out i mean they were they played pretty well tonight they weren't able to get a goal they weren't able to get on the score sheet at five on five but i think they still played a fairly good game tonight and they do that pretty much every night right their their nights their off night is still pretty good mm mm-hmm. Uh, the second line, they seem to be feast or famine. They either have a really good night or it's just terrible. Yeah, and I did see a tweet uh, during the game. It was a screen cap, I think, from the TSN broadcast. It was a graphic showing Alex Dubrinkit one goal in his last nine games, Shane Pinto one goal in his last 12, and then Drake Batherson one goal in his last 10 games. It's, it's, it's looking rough for them, like... Like you said, I don't think they play poorly every game, but it's just that the results aren't there. And I feel like yeah. without with Norris not coming back anytime soon, like most likely, it's I, I don't really know what what other options they can they can try really. Like, is there anything you'd like to see? Maybe a bit of a shakeup in the top six. I hate the idea of breaking up that top line. I, yeah. I think. I mean. I think Broussard can slip into the top six to kind of do spot duty here and there. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you need to move Broussard up to the second line for a game or two to, to let Pinto have some space on the third line. I don't really know if that's going to help in the long term, though. Um, You know, make Pinto look good for a game or two, but I don't, I don't know that I'll help in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure there's much you can do until Norris is back, to be honest. I mean, as long as the top line is clicking the way it does, I mean, they, they're clicking and when they're on their game and when they're actually getting the bounces and making the most of their bounces, they can win the game. Yeah. Like you said, it's, it's so tough to break up that first line. Like I, I hate seeing, you know, sort of a one line team that that's struggling with depth, but I, I can't really think of much else they can do other than maybe I I've suggested switching maybe Debrinket and Giroux because I feel like Giroux has just been great all season even before he went up to that top line and uh, uh, but yeah, I don't know it, yeah it, could get to, could get Debrinket going too mm-hmm. it, it just feels like they're really stuck in terms of options there just that that one injury has has really messed things up like. I, yeah. I, I wouldn't have minded seeing like Ridley Greig called up for a few games just to give him a shot. But, you know, 
even if they were able to do that because he is injured, it's not like that would be much of a long-term solution. You wouldn't really want to be relying on a rookie in that in that position so much. It's just kind of, sort of like I'd like to see it tried, but and they can't even yeah. do it, so it's a moot point anyway. Yeah. But yeah, uh, speaking of Dabrinkit, like, what do you think about his game lately in terms of scoring, like, the or the lack of scoring? Like, I feel like some games he gets a ton of chances that obviously aren't really going in, but then other games, I feel like he was really quiet. Like tonight, I wasn't seeing too much from him. What did you think? I, yeah, I think tonight I wasn't seeing too much from him either. Um, I think he's gripping the stick a little too tight, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, early on in the season, right, he wasn't getting the goals, but he was getting tons of chances. He was generating these high-quality scoring chances and being absolutely robbed you know, a bad bounce, a stick in the way, a crazy highlight reel save kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he just couldn't, he couldn't buy a goal. Um, You know, tonight on that first power play, he had a couple chances and he was fanning on them. He was putting the puck right into, you know, players that were in the lane that were right in front of him. Um, you know, when he was trying to make plays in the offensive zone, he was bobbling the puck a little bit more tonight. It, you know, I mentioned earlier Talbot wasn't Talbot's night. It wasn't uh, Debrinket's night tonight either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm kind of feeling like at this point, he just definitely isn't much of a play driver. Like, he's not really going to be the guy to to lead a line exactly. And I know as a goal scorer, you don't always expect that. He's expected to be kind of the guy that finishes off plays. But I feel like with sort of a lack of a playmaking element on that second line right now, it's just a little bit painfully obvious that it's just, it's just not there for him right now. Like, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's disappointing after that exciting offseason trade and bringing in a big name player with, you know, a big salary. But I, I feel it might be speaking too soon early in the season, but I feel like I'm sort of getting to the point with him where I'm not too concerned about whether or not he gets re-signed long-term. I, I don't know if that's a, a hot take, but I don't know. What do you think? Um, I'd still like to see him re-signed at this point, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, the $9 million and change qualifying offer is uh, looking a little less appetizing than it did over the summer and and through the start of the season, though. Mm-hmm. Um, is, he still, is he still putting up a ton of assists? I haven't... Yeah, looked in the past few days. I think it's basically the assists that are keeping his stats looking respectable, especially. The, but the thing is, they're coming a lot on the power play with because uh, we got him on the first unit there. But yeah. five on five is just just really lacking. Yeah, I mean, and even with the assists, you know, he was brought in, kind of billed as a goal scorer, and we're just not seeing that. Mm-hmm. I mean. We saw the we saw the potential. We've been seeing the potential for most of the season, uh, but they're just not going in for him. Yeah, um, reminds me a little bit of uh, the old Bobby Ryan line about getting the ketchup out of the bottle. Mm-hmm. I was you actually know, it still, it still kind of feels that way with Debrinket that you know once they start they're gonna really go, mm-hmm. but they haven't started yet. Yeah, I was actually just thinking about. Uh... Bobby Ryan in comparison to Alex Dabrinkit, you know, when 
we brought Bobby Ryan in, it was very similar hype. And then even though yeah, he he had a lot of ups and downs throughout his senator's career, like there was times where he did live up to the hype, but it, mm -hmm. it was he was never really like, you know, there was the, the phrase coming in, coming in hot. He didn't exactly come in hot, to be honest. And I feel like... No, he never really was the, the goal scorer in Ottawa that people were expecting when he came in. For a while there, he kind of transformed into more of a playmaker. Mm-hmm. And had had some some good stretches as more of a playmaker with some scoring, but he was never. You're right. He was never the goal scorer that that we were all expecting from that. Yeah, and then then I have to I have to worry with my anxiety brain that that's gonna kind of happen to Alex Dubrincic again, like uh, with in a new environment with different line mates. You know, the dynamic is different because obviously Bobby Ryan was playing with Getzlaff and Perry. That's a whole ton of playmaking on that line. And then Dubrincic was playing with Patrick Kane. And that was kind of the main talking point all summer was how's he going to do away from Patrick Kane? And the whole time I thought, well, he's still a really good player regardless. And like, we have guys who can set him up, but right now I don't really think he's playing with the guys who can set him up, which is a, the tough part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in an ideal world, I kind of like the line that they had him on you know, to start the season playing with Giroux. But once again, we come back to that Norris injury. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I, I I, would still ideally like to see him resigned, especially if he uh, does start to get the goals going in. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I just feel like at this point in the season, when we're not a winning team, it's like, maybe you just sell him off to get what you can. Uh, although... Yeah. Just because of the whole RFA situation, when it, it, that brings me back to Mark Stone back in the day when he was RFA with one year left until UFA, and then he just takes that one year contract, right? Uh, since the team isn't doing so well, I, I, I do also worry about that as a possibility with Debrinkit. Yeah. And then maybe it would just be... Maybe it would just be wiser to move him maybe at the deadline this year. But then, but then of course, I keep going back and forth on this. It's then... If he's not scoring that much, he might have significantly less value at the deadline too. And then maybe you should just try to keep him and and uh, rebuild his game. Not that yeah. his game is totally broken, but you know, we had we had high expectations. So yeah, but then you come back to the nine million qualifying offer. Exactly. I uh, I know. rights. Yeah. Sometimes with like, it's usually with much cheaper RFA's, but sometimes teams will not qualify a guy and then just negotiate something under the qualifying offer but i feel like uh that will never happen with the top end salary guys right because why wouldn't they sign the qualifying offer yeah uh tough tough times here right now in ottawa too and, and it sucks because we were also optimistic after the last few games like it was a 4-1-0 record in the last five things were actually yep. kind of looking up a bit uh what was your what was your optimism like before this game? Like, how were you feeling before all the letdown, and how is it kind of recontextualized now after the results of this game? Um, to be honest, it hasn't changed that much after mm -hmm. this game. Uh, I wasn't letting it creep in too much. Um, I made the comment after I don't remember if it was after Friday or Saturday that uh, I made the comment. You know, okay, the you know, they don't quite have me fully back on board in terms of 
you know, I didn't say it, but say, say it this way, but they didn't quite have me fully back on board in terms of, you know, having hopes for the season yet. Let's see them get to 500 first. Mm-hmm. But they definitely had my attention. Yeah. I just worry. So, I worry that this will be a result that kind of kills a lot of fans' attention. It's not necessarily that one one game hinges on, like, for the whole season, you know, but it's, it's just seeing a stinker like that. I just feel really deflated after this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was kind of a stinker against New York mm-hmm. Yeah, the at first home, one too. So, you know, um, if they keep going two and three, two out of three, mm-hmm. that ends them up at 97 points. Yeah. <laughs> so um, as much as it would have been nice to get a, a three-game streak going and, you know, get closer to 500 and claw back some of that space, you know, if they've if they can keep this up and keep getting four out of every six points kind of thing, we don't need, you know, a four or five, 10 game winning streak for them to get back into the picture. Mm-hmm. That is a very fair point. If you just sort of win those small little stretches, you know, where you're just slightly above 500 in small stretches, then it builds up over time. Yeah. It's, it's not like you need, it's not like we need 10 game win streak right now. And to be honest, I, I think, I mean, even if that would happen, it would still be t- we'd still be in tough to get into the playoffs at this point. But yeah. I, at this point, I'm definitely not expecting playoffs. I just I just want 500. You know, like I would see that as a pretty good improvement at this point. Yeah, yeah, it'd be nice to nice to see them get back up there. Mm-hmm. I think that would be encouraging for a lot of fans just to see positive play for the rest of the season and. Tonight, we, we just weren't seeing it, so it's a bit of a downer. And a really tough opponent in Dallas coming up next, too. Uh, I, I don't really know what to expect for that. I, the Sens have been better on the road lately after a pretty rough start to the season on the road. I think they were winless in the first few road games, but it's yeah, better now. Are. So maybe it'll be okay in that game, but I don't know. It, it's a t- very tough opponent coming up next, so it sucks that... Uh, yeah. Sucks that we couldn't beat the Kings again, considering we were able to once before. Well, you know, they uh, they played well against Dallas at the start of the season, too, right? That is true. Did we beat Dallas? So, we did, didn't we? Yeah. I, I don't know. I always confuse it with, uh, I think we played Minnesota right after. and they Yeah, were... it was Minnesota where the, the losing streak started. Yeah, it, it was... Yeah, Dallas, the last win of that winning streak, and then Minnesota, the start of the losing streak right after. And I keep I keep forgetting which was which, but, but that is correct. And uh, there's another thing I wanted to bring up that we haven't mentioned yet, is that you are the creator of Natural Stat Trick. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I, uh, I hadn't actually seen much of the website before, but I was looking at it tonight to follow sort of the advanced stats of tonight's game, like, and they come up live throughout the game uh -hmm. i thought it was a really cool site and i I just kind of i want to know about like uh how the site got started and how it works and everything uh it got started because i wanted to answer the question of what kind of impact patrick weirkosh had on the team oh apart from the gravitational pull of eric carlson (laughs) (laughs) oh my god (laughs) because when you play the same position as eric carlson he makes everybody on the team look so much better mm-hmm. that 
when you're playing the second line behind him, everybody else looks so much worse playing right. with you because mm -hmm. he pulls them up so much. <laughs> so does that mean you were a bit of a uh, Patrick Rearcotch believer then? You think he looked better than people were thinking? Or because Carlson was making him look worse, you know? Yeah, yeah, I was a believer at the time for sure. Mm -hmm. I definitely was not expecting to... Uh to hear a Patrick Rearcosh reference <laughs> on the show tonight or or at all in in the year 2022 so that that's a nice little throwback there yeah and uh i kind of i, I kind of want to know like you don't have to go into like super detail or anything but in terms of just like how how the site works like how you get all these stats and manage to uh, have it for like every game too like i think that's really cool like it's there's so much detail on the website it's really awesome right so everything I use on the website the the only source of data is the NHL website and the NHL mm -hmm. game reports. Okay. So they're they're updating pretty close to live. So I'm able to get the information from them and you know uh, running through some calculations. You know some of them like Corsi is simple addition. Mm -hmm. um, some of the other stuff, like expected goals, is a little bit more complex. But then I, I get the data, the the raw information from the NHL reports, and uh, transform it as necessary. That's really cool that you can uh, take the data that's available and uh, come up with stats that you can't get on the NHL website. Like you take what they have and turn it into something new and more detailed that that you wouldn't be able to get over there. I think that's really awesome. And uh, you brought up expected goals. I kind of, I kind of want to ask you about this. This is sort of a stat that I've, I've seen a lot more recently getting referenced. But how exactly does expected goals uh, get calculated? All right. So expected goals is typically a um, mine. Definitely is. It's it uses machine learning, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is kind of best explain if you're not familiar with the term it's kind of like a simplistic artificial intelligence it's it's not really intelligent <laughs> um but it is it is kind of along that that path um it uh you feed a bunch of information you have to kind of you, you have to train it so when you create it, you feed it a whole bunch of information, you know, several years worth of NHL shooting information has gone mm -hmm. into mine. Mm -hmm. um, you pick the different things and generally there's some experimentation to play around with it to try and get the best results. And you pick the different pieces of information that are used by it. And, you know, a very simple expected goals model would be okay if the shot comes from this location on the ice how often is it a goal okay right so that's a very simplistic one and shot location still is the biggest piece mm -hmm. of it but it will take a lot more information than that like it will look at the location it looks at the type of shot you know if it's a wrist shot or a slap shot um it uh, it looks at um, determines if it's a rush shot or if there was a rebound. Um, I'm 
trying to remember what all I've put into it at yeah, this point. Yeah, it's I'm sure it's weird. a crazy um, amount of things. Yeah, so it, it takes a lot more pieces of information and kind of puts them together and basically comes up with a, if it looks like this, if all of this, these pieces of information look like this, how likely is it to be a goal? How often does that turn into a goal mm-hmm. in that situation? Yeah. And one thing that I did notice when I was looking uh, after the first period is that the Kings total expected goals as a team was 0. 0.86, uh, mm-hmm. but they did score four goals. What like, is that just a sign of uh, the shots? Like, does do, does that imply to you that the goalie should have had those shots, or or that it was uh, the defense, you know, uh, letting up chances that they shouldn't, or like, what 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 kind of results in a discrepancy like that? Um, the first thing really is that, like, even a high high expect a goal chance unless it's an empty net mm-hmm. <laughs> unless it's an empty net uh like a single shot you know you take the same shot over and over again even the best chance of scoring you're only really looking at you know one goal on every four shots or one goal on every three shots even for like the, just the absolute best chance you can get and like, like i said unless it's an empty net um so it's just there's there's a certain amount of variance in it right it's they don't necessarily come evenly Mm -hmm. right you can get you know goals on your first couple you know three shots and you know it's three nothing and the expected goals are you know 0.4 or something like that but as the game goes up right you know think just even save percentage Right, you know, a goalie can end uh, with a save percentage over 0.9 when they let in 33 goals on 30 shots. But if they let all three goals in in a row, it doesn't kind of balance out, right? And that's that's the way it goes. Sometimes mm-hmm. it comes in clusters. Um, tonight, watching the game <laughs> and watching it, and that's one of the big things with analytics is if you really want to analyze the game, you need to look at the numbers, but you also need to be watching the game. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, the, it was a case of, you know, the goalie should have had some of those. Yeah. Right? Like, um one thing I will say about public expected goals models like mine, like mine, we don't have anything for, you know, the goalie being screened mm. mm-hmm. or anything like that. Uh, it kind of balances out in the long run. <laughs> yeah. But in, in short runs in short time frames, like a single period, you can get some numbers that, that uh, don't match up to the actual goals that were scored. Yeah, I think I do think it it makes sense though from watching the period because uh, it's not like the Sens. I I really don't think the Sens played that bad in the first period. Like I thought they were worse in the second period. Really, it's just that those few chances and those small mistakes, those yeah, little really, little things that really end up being big mistakes. You know, it really shouldn't have been four one. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. Well, shouldn't have been four one. Uh, unfortunately, we had. The 5-2 final tonight. Uh, That's where we're going to have to wrap it up tonight. Thank you so much for, for joining me, Brad.
No, thank you for having me. Any uh, anything last minute you want to plug or? Uh, you mentioned natural stat trick. I also write for Silver Seven Sens, so uh, you can check out my work, uh, my uh, more Ottawa specific work there. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, be sure to check out Natural Stat Trick and Silver Seven Sens, everyone. Be sure to like the video and subscribe to SDPN. Share it around if you enjoyed. And that will be all for tonight. The Sens next game Thursday will be uh, brought to you by Charlie for the post game. Have a good night, everyone. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada Sportsbook.